exciting. This is Four Color Radio, where the notes meet the page. And good evening, everybody. Thank you for tuning in once again, uh, or at least to the two fills that are online, because you can always <laughs> count on the two fills to be in the chat room and making things interesting for us. My name is Jay. I'm your host of Four Color Radio, where the notes meet the page. Uh, it's a show where we talk about the soundtracks for movies and TV shows uh, that are based on comic book characters. And uh, we've had a lot of fun so far. A lot of great guests, a lot of great soundtracks, and tonight is absolutely no different at all as we broadcast to you here from the Origin Roads Studios in Sherwood Park. And uh, for those of you who... Uh, are looking to join the chat, if you head on over to soundsugarradio.com uh, and click on the chat button on the front page, you can join right in there. And of course, before we get to uh, get right into uh, my guest and all the great stuff that she's bringing to the table tonight, um, I would first like to acknowledge that the show is being broadcast from the Treaty 6 territory, the traditional lands of First Nations and Métis people. All right. Welcome, Amy. Hey, you, you brought this up a while ago. Um, and I was like, Hey, aren't you trying to become like a doctor or something? You're supposed to be like yes. super smart. And um, you're like, I want to do like flash 1980s flash Gordon. And I'm like, all right, you're the, you're the, you're the brainiac. I'm the doctor. You're the doctor, the soon to be doctor. Um, yeah. Like what a while. And now I know Part of the reason I reached out to you is because you posted it on an Instagram and yeah, I was like, several times, what What are you doing? And I'm like, <laughs> you know, and it's kind of hard to, I think not everyone, if anyone remembers the 1980 movie Flash Gordon, they remember it as being super schlocky. Campy uh, and wonderful. Campy and wonderful. Um, and they all remember the, ah, which we yep. heard in the opening theme there. Um, thanks, Phil. Um, what they don't maybe realize is that Queen did the whole, whole score. It is literally just a Queen album. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're going to talk uh, a lot about that. But uh, what is it that you love about this? What is it that gets you? Uh, so many things. So um, I probably came to this. Uh, I loved the movie when I was younger. Um, but I didn't realize that Queen had done the soundtrack until I became a huge Highlander fan, right? Because, of course, Queen did the Highlander soundtrack. Yes, they did. Several <laughs> years after they did this one. And um, once I found, I have the album on vinyl, and it's right here, dear listeners, <laughs> with <laughs> really fantastic art, which was actually done by Freddie Mercury himself. I know, and that's that's infuriating. I <laughs> <laughs> I, I get angry at artists who are so exceptional at one craft, yeah. but let alone multiple crafts. So many things. <laughs> and I think what I love best about the album is it just feels uh, similar to their soundtrack with Highlander. There's something that's so fun and energetic. And they also took it so seriously. Like there's such a great 
orchestrated soundtrack that so complements the movie and it's a very atmospheric so you know when you have those days when you're like I don't really want to finish my MA graduate thesis but I have to because otherwise I will not be admitted to the PhD program in September <laughs> you put on a little Flash Gordon and hearing those opening beats I guarantee you will get your morning going <laughs> Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I was uh, I was watching because on Queen's official YouTube page, they have like videos oh. for the song. So the, the main theme they have a video for and you listen to it. And one of the big things about the soundtrack, as it were, it's just it's a composite of score, of soundtrack, of um, interwoven, um, you know, uh, interwoven parts of the movie. Yeah. Uh, and they blend it all together seamlessly. To, yeah, to keep it in theme with the movie 100. percent But it is so weird. So when you listen to it, you probably don't think Queen. Well, when I watched the video for the theme song, I was like, "Yep, there's That's everyone so doing their thing, yeah. and Freddie singing, and and uh, you know Brian May is just oh. between the piano yeah. and the guitar and back and forth. And yeah, it's fantastic. And uh, yeah, it's kind of hard to beat. It's also yeah, I think I can appreciate it more now as I'm older. Yeah, I mean, it, I will say you're, you're maybe not the first person to have been like, huh, you, you, you really like that soundtrack? And I'm like, yeah, it's amazing. Because I also think one of the things that sometimes gets minimized about a band like Queen, certainly we know it gets minimized with comics, is that something can be fun and indulgent and still really powerful. Like something that's pulpy is also persuasive. Like, and let people like things, you know, <laughs> and this album is exceptional. It is. Well, let's get right into it there with an introduction. So we're going to start off um, because like a lot of scores slash soundtracks, songs are short. So we're going to be grouping some stuff together throughout the night. But uh, hopefully uh, you'll enjoy all of our selections and blends or Amy's selections and my blends because I had to kind of make everything fit. But we got it. I think it's I think it's a pretty solid show. So let's kick off here with Flash's theme, uh, followed up by In the Space Capsule, which is one of several love themes uh, that kind of run throughout the soundtrack. It's almost like love is the stuff that keeps universe going. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into some Queen. Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? An obscure body in the SK system, Your Majesty. The inhabitants refer to it as the planet Earth. How peaceful it looks. <laughs> Most effective, Your Majesty. Will you destroy this uh, Earth? Later. I like to play with things a while. For annihilation.
me to the presence of Emperor Ming. And that are the first two cuts from the Flash Gordon soundtrack, uh, as done by Queen. That's the Flash theme, uh, the remastered edition, actually, and uh, followed by In the Space Capsule. Uh, and of, uh, of course, by the great band Queen. This album, as we were talking off air, uh, is a huge game changer in a lot of ways. And um, one of the first things is that it's the first kind of solo rock band centric album. Uh, the only one that had kind of come before it for a movie was The Who's Tommy, but I mean, The Who crafted that album to be made into a film or a play. Um, so this is really the first time where and, and such a popular rock band gets dropped in. And, and as you mentioned, like they they went into it. Queen said, oh. we're making, if you want us to make this album, we're, we're gonna take it seriously. We're gonna make it fit the film the whole nine yards. And one of the things Queen had just released the game a few months earlier, and that's a very rock driven album. But then the albums that come afterwards embrace the synth, yeah. <laughs> which oh, they absolutely. utilize to the ends of the earth in the soundtrack. Yeah. And we were both doing research before coming on the show and like uh, Queen had pushed back their greatest hits was supposed to come out. They pushed this back a year so they can work on this album and, you know, they were given artistic license by the studio to just, you know, do something that you really feel sets the tone. And one of the most, I think, unusual things we're talking, you know, while we're listening to the songs is the fact that you have these interjecting bits of dialogue, right? And I was saying how for me, as I was thinking about it, it feels very comic booky because you have that dialogue kind of hanging over the pictures and you have sort of like we talk about the marriage of words and pictures. You really have the marriage of you know, these great visuals and this very evocative, you know, um, kind of multiplicity of sounds that you're really, you have dialogue and then you have, you know, all these different instrumentation in the background and it, you can feel the atmosphere. If you've watched Flash Gordon, <laughs> I feel like even once and then you listen to the soundtrack, you can practically remember it as you're watching it almost because it is so evocative, the music, that the visuals really spring to mind. And that was something that was certainly not done before with any soundtrack. I mean, most movies would have formal scores uh, again with the exception of tommy there wasn't really anything that was this um, modern music styled and so and it actually kind of takes a while before we really see another you know big band assume a score for a soundtrack um it's certainly something that's comic book related because we don't see yeah. it again until prince uh as batman in 1989 yeah. uh, and that is a huge thing as well and he yeah. does a lot of the similar things right yeah. he well especially during bat dance he takes all sorts of snippets from the movie i mean to me that's got to be a tip of the hat to queen don't you think yeah. oh i think it must i think even the idea of somebody like prince who everyone has such respect for but also somebody like prince who is so aware of his own image and would lean into the camp that I think yeah. definitely he's like tipping his hat to Queen and also saying like, I want to have fun with this and I want to really make, you know, um, something beautiful that's also really fun and that makes people laugh and, you know, but people really enjoy it too. And that has a mood to it, right? Oh, absolutely. And I think, yeah, both both 
prince and queen <laughs> took that to the uh, to the extreme. I mean, yeah, so revolutionary. Well, let's get into a couple more tracks here from uh, the Flash Gordon soundtrack. Uh, and for those of you who are thinking, like, do should I watch this movie? I mean. You can certainly watch it. We'll talk a little bit more about it after the next break. Um, just make sure that when you're uh, typing in Flash Gordon, um, don't uh, mistype uh, Flash because or you'll maybe. get a completely different movie. <laughs> or maybe, depending on what you're looking for. Uh, so let's, the next two songs, uh, actually three songs, we're doing a triple here because one of them is uh, really quick, but we're going to get into first is Ming's theme. Uh, which will be followed by uh, The Ring, which is a, the brief song, but it's also subtitled The Hypnotic Seduc Seduction of Dale. And then we're going to follow it up with The Football Fight, which I watched this afternoon. Uh, there's a clip of it on YouTube, and it is absolutely delightful. So once again, absolutely. let's get back to Queen and their uh, Flash Gordon soundtrack. <laughs> Gordon, quarterback, New York Jets. Dale Arden, your highness. Pathetic earthlings. Hurling your bodies out into the void. Come closer. Let us see you.
Forget it, Bing. Dale's with me. That puts a quick end to Flash Gordon. Um, actually, in, in that particular scene, because everyone says, oh, because like Flash is kicking butt. Yep. He's going all quarterback, New York Jets, yep. right? <laughs> like that's going to mean anything to an intergalactic <laughs> conqueror. Um, but he actually gets beaned by one of the things that he's using to bean other people. With. Yeah, so accidentally. It was accidental. So, yeah. but you know, as they say, moves the plot along. So <laughs> it, was, it was very helpful. Um, yeah, there's, there's. That, especially in that last one, in the football fight one, uh, you totally start getting more Queen. Because, I mean, Brian May just, like, amps up the guitars and stuff okay. and, and goes to town. And it's really, really good. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're kind of bouncing around a little bit between what Queen can do and what Queen wants to do and what they're yeah. experimenting with. Oh, 100%. I think you're definitely seeing... Them also, what I like about this is I feel like they're trying to sort of capture the sounds of the future. Like they are trying to, in the same way that science fiction writers, I mean, we were talking about earlier, you know, Flash Gordon's a very old comic. You know, it's coming out in the late 1930s. Is it 35? Uh, 34 when it starts. Okay, 34. Yep. Uh, and, you know, coming after Buck Rogers. And, you know, you have uh, John Carter of Mars that's coming out. What is this like? Is it 1918 or so that came out? Yeah. I'm sure someone will <laughs> call me and be like, actually, it was 1970. <laughs> Suffice to say, you know, you have a lot more sci-fi, you know, in the earliest, early 20th century than I think we often talk about, right? Yeah. And so you have people trying to sort of envision the future, but Queen is really trying to give us an idea of what's the future going to sound like? Like, what are Reagan? No, but seriously, like, what yeah. are Reagan's going to sound like, right? Oh, absolutely. And I think it's truly amazing in terms of like audio background, what they've done with the album, because so much of the sound of Reagan's that we have now, I attribute to the soundtrack. <laughs> I mean, you know, um, you watch something like Star Trek or I think a lot of sci-fi and so much of the visual soundtrack that they lay down, yeah. I think if not a direct homage, it certainly, I think, pushed the envelope a lot. I think one of the, when we're talking about sci-fi and the relation to sci-fi uh, and, and the advancements of the sounds and stuff like that, um, we'd be remiss if we didn't uh, talk about how 
this movie was almost made by someone who was yes. then known to make one of the most iconic <laughs> sci-fi sounds of all time, right? So originally tapped to make the Flash Gordon movie was George Lucas. It's so the George fascinating. Lucas. Like the whole story of this movie is super fascinating. <laughs> There's so many ties to this film and so many, it has its fingers in so many pies. And we're going to talk about some other stuff, but like George Lucas is tapped to do this movie. And then for whatever reason decides not to, yeah. Uh, and then make Star Wars instead, and and changes sound and sci-fi as we know it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, it's it's true. And I think too uh, was at the same year, um, Star Trek, the original Star Trek movie comes out too. And I mean, that's also I think another movie that not only is trying to give us a vision of the future, but also the soundtrack. And I know, yeah. you know, maybe we'll talk about that. Some maybe other time. maybe that might come up. <laughs> Uh, in a future show, you never know. It is it is a very uh, lauded soundtrack for yeah. sure. Um, but let's get back to this soundtrack right now. We got a couple more cuts to cover on here. Ooh, look at that, dropping all sorts of things. Um, so our next couple selections, or a few selections actually. So we're going to do uh, another three-piece here. First up is In the Death Cell, um, which is the love theme reprise. So uh, I guess we're going from this in the space capsules, the first time we find love. And then in the death cell is the second time we find love, which there's two really bizarre places to be finding love. Um, after the death cell, we're going to get into the execution of flash. Like this is the, the, the happy cheery portion of the show, I guess. Um, but we will round out yeah. those, those two songs with the kiss at the end, uh, which is where Flash gets resurrected. So It's okay, dear listeners. It will be fine. <laughs> everyone's okay. <laughs> so let's get back into it. It's Queen with the Flash Gordon soundtrack from the 1980 film.
Queen there from the Flash Gordon soundtrack. Uh, the three cuts we heard there are In the Death Cell at the beginning, The Execution of Flash in the middle, and then at the end, The Kiss. And uh, we have mentioned a couple of times how there's certain influences that come and go. Uh, and we were talking about how Queen actually recorded the game at the same time as they were, a lot of it, or there are parts of it that were being recorded for Flash Gordon, but they were keeping them very separate and distinct. Um, but we both kind of heard that during the midpoint of the execution of the flash, there was clearly the foreshadowing of the song who wants to live forever. Oh, it is that, 100%, that lead yeah. in. And it is just like, Oh, they banked that. And they're like, we, we got to use that on a, on a better song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a hundred percent. And uh, yeah, you can definitely almost like, it's like a musical thread that they're leaving off that would just pick right up. Yeah, I think. yeah, it's 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 so so impressive. But in the discipline that they would have had to been kind of working on both soundtracks, very different styles. Um, it's it's impressive. Again, more reason to hate uh, how talented <laughs> these people are. It's very grossly unfair to be that talented. Um, probably one of my favorite movie lines is comes from the, in that uh, in those tracks in there. It's like. 
Those are tears, a sign of weakness. <laughs> so, I mean, you heard it here, folks. Like, even going back, you know, if you want to talk about toxic masculinity, yep. uh, Ming the Merciless. Oh, he, he's he, pretty much the worst. Yeah. He, he brought that in spades. Oh, 100%. And, you know, I think this is definitely something that Bear's talking about with the comics of Flash Gordon. I mean, Ming is an incredibly problematic figure. They've started to sort of recast Ming in the 1980s version. They're still sort of you might call it an East Asian influence in some of the costuming and stuff, but Ming has sort of been like a catch-all dictator figure, maybe like a yeah. bit of a Stalin, or there's even some references to Nazism. Um, but Ming is, yeah, the, sort of the worst of the worst, yeah. you know, and these crash-landed Earthers managed to bring things like teamwork <laughs> and love to the inhabitants. Um, a, a version of teamwork yeah. and, and versions of love, yes. Yeah. <laughs> the movie that we talked about before we even went live to air tonight, we talked about, and you mentioned how it's like, there are moments where I'm not sure what the audience is for this movie. Yeah, I, I think the, the, the movie operates on the way that a good comic does in terms of it's multivalent. There's multiple meanings depending on the audience. And there are um, some pretty interesting, uh, funny inside jokes in this movie. Not not even so thinly cloaked, actually. No, not, <laughs> not really. Um, there's certainly no shortage of, of comedy as well. Yeah. Um, and as we were talking about earlier, the screenwriter... Uh, for the movie is actually one of the script writers from the Batman 66 TV series. Yep. So if you're watching Flash Gordon, um, which we won't deter anyone from watching it, like there's a certain charm and a certain amount of fun to it. Uh, even when I was rewatching pieces today, it's not as bad as I thought it was. It's actually pretty well done and it's, it is what it presents itself to be. Um, but learning the Batman tidbit when I was watching chunks of the movie today, I was like, oh, yeah, I can see that. That's exactly how they would choreograph a Batman fight. This is kind of exactly how they would move the action and stuff like that. And I was like, mm, yeah, I, I, you know, if you if you do you're doing one thing and, and 10 years, like if you're doing Batman in 66 and then in the mid 70s, mid to late 70s, you're writing another thing. And it's like, yeah, make it fun. All right. <laughs> I did this thing 10 years ago. Let's just do it again and put it in space. Yeah. Oh, 100%. And I mean, th this film is also very much a film of the era. Like you watch a lot of the set and the costuming. And like I was thinking it many times of you think of things like Star Wars, but also Last Starfighter. There was a few times that I was like, oh, yeah, this feels a little like that. And definitely early Star Trek. Mm -hmm. Some of the costumes, like when Q first comes on and TNG, like <laughs> I swear <laughs> there's a little Flash Gordon influence there. Um yeah, so I think the movie, there's a lot of very distinctive things that it managed to accomplish, even though it's super campy. <laughs> it, it, I was like, I equated it to like the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I think it's best watched in groups mm. and definitely for by people that, um, you know, appreciate its camp value and its soundtrack. Right. Yeah. And probably don't necessarily need to be as sober as they would <laughs> need to be to watch most other films. Yep. Yeah, but it actually, the pacing is pretty good. I got to yeah. say, I, when I rewatched it last night, I was like, meh, the pacing's pretty good. I mean, come on, at this point, Flash has already been executed. We're like 30 minutes into the film, right? And then he gets resurrected. <laughs> he has a fight to the death coming up and then another fight to the death. There's a lot going on. Yeah, it's a pretty busy film. <laughs> um, we, were, we were talking about and, and bringing up camp and talking about the film. Um, I was rewatching the, uh, the, the airship battle with the Hawkmen <laughs> and it's this great, you know, the oh, airship comes out of the cloud and I was yeah. like, actually, that's pretty good effects for 1980. Yeah. And then they engage in battle and I'm like, Oh, there they go. They blew the budget, just flying the ship out of the cloud. <laughs> um, but my favorite part is when, uh, they need to send more, 
troops on the airship to shoot at the Hawkmen in the air and the troops are inside the ship and they just walk over and slide open the window <laughs> and stick their guns out. They just lean out the window and start shooting at the Hawkmen. And I'm like, ah, oh, this is this is glorious. This is absolutely glorious. I've designed an airship to travel to just incredible heights off the planet, but the windows can slide open at first. Yeah, there's first no, no issues with oxygen, no talk about different climates or anything. It's, it's <laughs> well, let's in coming back to your point about the action and the nonstop. Let's uh, let's get back to some music here because there is uh, still quite a bit more to go. Uh, their next three tracks that we're going to drop on here are going to be uh, the first one is "Escape from the Swamp," and then it's going to be followed by "Flash to the Rescue," uh, which, I, if I recall correctly, has some pretty good pretty good upbeat yeah. uh, moments in it. And at the very uh, the third song we'll hear is uh, "Volton's Theme." So let's kick right back into this um, with Queen and the 1980 film Flash Gordon. Sorry, I just did something ridiculous and I'm trying to fix it while I fill airtime. All right, let's <laughs> get back to it. Queen with the Flash Gordon soundtrack. You are to be prepared for your wedding. I'm lost, Aura. Nothing can save me now. Shoot you! Point your 
stop all engines. Repel borders. Hard cut. <laughs> the songs just bleed together. Thanks, Queen. Way to make it easy on me. We were originally going to do this on vinyl, and I was like, I don't think I can hit some of these cuts. It turns out I can't even do it digitally. Uh, so there was the next three tracks in our selections tonight, as selected by Miss Amy Wright. Uh, Escape from the Swamp, then followed by Flash to the Rescue, and finally, Volton's theme, uh, which occurs in the moment in the movie I, I mentioned earlier with the spaceship coming out of the clouds, the Hawkmen are attacking, Amazing. and the leader of the Hawkmen, who you absolutely adore. Love Brian Blessed. Love <laughs> um, he utters a line just as Flash begins <laughs> to descend on. He utters the line, who wants to live forever? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Whoa. So I yeah. think there's, there's a lot... Uh, yeah. There's a lot going on in this movie that I yeah. think kind of is is telling the future of uh, some yeah. queen that's <laughs> coming yeah. up. So that's kind of the second hint on there. But now is the portion of the show where we get into kind of more of the movie tidbits and the comic tidbits of the characters. So uh, Flash Gordon, the movie, debuted December 5th of 1980. I'm sure you can all remember where we were at that point in time. Uh, it had a budget of 20 to 27 million. I guess nobody really kept books that closely back in those days. Uh, sadly, it only grossed... Well, Accurately, it only grossed $27.1 million. So basically, yeah. it grossed what they made it for, which was not uh, a great thing. Uh, Flash Gordon, the lead character, is played by Sam J. Jones, who previous to this role was best known as being a Playgirl Playmate. You know. He was very pretty. Yeah, that was his. That yeah. was his whole shtick. Um, but he did actually leave the film before it was finished uh, due to a dispute with the director and his. A lot of his dialogue is voiced in by a professional voice actor who mimics Jones's voice. Um, and the whole thing about everything falling apart actually is uh, there's a documentary about it. It was released in 2016 called Life After Flash. Um, oddly, it is longer than the original movie. Uh, only by a couple of minutes, but still it's like... All right, that's that's uh, gonna have to give that a watch. That's on my my list of things. Yeah, mine to do. too. I'm super interested to know like what went down because I didn't realize that does explain something about the movie though. Because there's some parts in the audio where yeah, the dialogue just seems a little wonky. Yeah, I'm like, ma, okay. <laughs> I just sort of attributed it to the campiness of you know. As we mentioned earlier, uh, Flash Gordon was created by uh, Alex Raymond in 1934, debuted in 1934. Uh, and we talked a little bit more about Alex Raymond on a previous episode, or we talked more about Flash Gordon and Alex Raymond uh, on the episode uh, four with the uh, the Super Dupers album that we covered. So if you uh, want to learn the difference between um, a regular ray gun and uh, an everyday gun. Uh, you can listen to that episode and learn a little bit more. Uh, it was created, Alex Ross, Alex, uh, Alex Raymond was asked to create something to counter Buck Rogers at that time. And uh, the strip actually ran from 1934 until 1992 with the Sunday strips continuing until 2003. And pretty much all of this stuff is available in uh, reprint collections through a couple of publishers. Uh, Dark Horse reprinted a bunch of stuff. Titan Comics UK printed a bunch of stuff. Uh, the comic book series uh, kind of we're off and on throughout uh, from about 1942 up into present day. Uh, the most modern day comics are being published by Dynamic Entertainment. Uh, and the last series was released in uh, 2016. So there hasn't really been anything for a few years, which is kind of unfortunate. But he certainly outlasted Buck Rogers. I mean, 100%. Buck Rogers had its moments, but yeah. Flash Gordon, uh, far more iconic and far more often used and, and, and kind of brought back up again. Um really kind of good staying power. 
Well, I wonder too if, if it isn't just because of this soundtrack and the way that the movie, I mean, the movie is from 1980, of course. Mm-hmm. But if you think like, uh, you know, we had the Buck Rogers TV show on in the 80s, you know, and the feel of it is not dissimilar, but it didn't have that sort of camp, that, you know, lasting camp and right. broad appeal that this has. And I think part of it is the soundtrack and also even including the audio as they do so much in the soundtrack, like Flash Gordon is also very known for, you know, Prince Volton, Brian Blessed's, you know, very iconic. Gordon's alive. <laughs> Apparently that is like the most requested thing that Brian Blessed, who's had a very long career, does. And like, he still gets asked to do that. So, um, yeah, I think Flash continued. And we see this with so many, I think, comic book characters, like people having different iterations and different takes on them. And I think that's the best thing about comics is like, they can really grasp sort of the collective imagination and every generation, every director, every creator can put their own spin on things and really use this as a great vehicle for storytelling. Um, I saw that there were plans to do a Flash Gordon movie. It was at 2019, but those were scrapped. Um, so hopefully, who knows, that might be picked up again. I feel like, you know, there's there's a there's lot a of chance. things. There's, there's a always chance. a chance. Yeah, yeah, I'd like to hear Ray Guns again, you know. <laughs> Well, uh, in the chat room, uh, Great Creation, earlier in the show, uh, I guess Great Creation, he, he chimed in with the Gordons Alive. That was <laughs> that was the uh, what he brought to the table as his favorite part of it. Um, but we're actually going to get into the last uh, a last trio of songs here to kind of wrap up the album. Uh, we almost played the entire album. It was very close. Yeah. Uh, but we did have to make a couple cuts. But we are going to get into the last three here, which is uh, The Wedding March. Uh, followed by the marriage of Dale and Ming. Spoiler. Yes. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, and then at the end uh, is the hero, but we're actually going to do uh, a live version of the hero, which gives us uh, kind of our almost quasi CanCon content for this show. Uh, it was recorded live in Montreal in 1981, and uh, that is the version we're going to be dropping off here. So uh, to wrap up our last segment here, it is Queen from the Flash Gordon soundtrack. And uh, with... Uh, Two weddings and a hero, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing.
merciless ruler of the universe, take this earthling, Dale Arden, to be your empress of the hour? Of the hour, yes. Do you promise to use her as you will? Certainly. Not to blast her into space? Until such time as you grow weary of her. I do. I do not. After me, Your Majesty, with this ring, I thee wed. And that, of course, is the vocal stylings of Mr. Freddie Mercury, one of the all-time greatest vocalists in rock and roll, uh, ending off with The Hero uh, from the Flash Gordon soundtrack from 1980. Uh, the Hero is the only other song on the album that actually has lyrics, oh. um, but was never actually officially released as a single. And that's really just kind of like a snippet of the potential that could have come out of that song, because it's only like it's a minute and change. Oh yeah, and uh, one of the in doing the research for here was like uh, so many of the fans. It was a very popular live song that they would do yeah. regularly at concerts, and it was something that a lot of people were like, oh, "Why didn't you release this?" I mean, probably because like they had a lot on their plate. Let's be real, well, you know, they already pushed back greatest hits. You know, they were doing a lot. They were, but it, <laughs> but it was interesting in their their kind of interpretation of this intergalactic conqueror who comes down to claim an earth bride. Uh, they have a very traditional wedding uh, <laughs> with a very traditional <laughs> wedding theme march that is uh, well known to everyone, just a little bit more rock out. Yep. And uh, they did vows. Very sardonic vows. Yeah. Very sardonic <laughs> vows. There's not. I know. And, and Dale's response to everything, I most certainly they do, do not. not. Uh, it's amazing that, yeah. Queen blended all of that stuff together. Yeah. The rock, 
the the symphony, the opera, the lines from the movie, everything, yeah. fantastic, and it's it is a blast to listen to. And thank you so much for oh bringing it in and <laughs> and picking the songs. And uh, before we before we sign off, I want to give you a couple of give you some time, yeah, give you some space to talk about. I mean, I kind of kind of jokingly talk about you know you're a doctor and all this kind of <laughs> stuff, but you're like you're legitimately working to become a doctor of comics. That is true. Um, so right now I'm finishing my MA in history um, and I'm working, looking at, um, we actually had here in Alberta, a board of objectionable publications. They were not a censor, Jay, but let's be real. They were a censor. <laughs> they were just objectionable thing. Things yeah, they found like objectionable. Objectionable and... publications, you know, like yeah. comic books. and It um, wasn't cancel culture by it. <laughs> That was the original cancel culture. Um, But uh, so, yeah, in Alberta, we had it was basically a citizens group for about 25 years and starting in the mid 50s. So this is right at the same time in which you have, you know, the Senate hearings in the U.S. uh, in 1954. Um, and we actually, prior to that, had legislation in Canada. Most people aren't aware the Canadian Criminal Code from 1949 to actually 2018. It was a crime, technically, to possess crime comics, you know, um, with the intention to sell or distribute them. And so in the mid 50s, you really saw. A lot of people described it as a moral panic. I would say it was probably more of a legitimate people felt a very much sort of a public health concern. Like they actually thought that kids were reading comic books could contribute to juvenile delinquency, illiteracy. And so we had a lot of movement. So I'm writing about um, the Alberta group right now. And in the fall, I'll be starting my PhD at Carleton and looking at um, groups like this all across Canada, because there are similar groups in British Columbia, Ontario, um, Nova Scotia, and really looking at the Canadian sort of comic crisis, if you will, in the 1950s and 60s. Cool. Uh, if you would like to hear a little bit more about what Amy is doing and researching, um, uh, my good buddy Phil has mentioned on the chat there to remind people <laughs> that uh, if once again, uh, if you visit Collecting Tales podcast, uh, Phil true. Phil did a lengthy interview with you and about your comics research. So if you guys go to find Collecting Tales podcast, uh, Amy was a featured guest on episode five, and that's uh, true. She will uh, enlighten you more about the uh, the sordid history of comics uh, in Canada and throughout. But what else you got? Like you you do you do lectures and presentations and stuff. You used to be a lot more active before you just de- before you decided to go for your PhD. Obviously, yeah, I've became had a bit that. of a time suck, I guess. Eh? <laughs> yeah, I know graduate school. Oh, ridiculous. Um, so I used to be very active um, in my previous career. I was a librarian, and my specialty was really working with kids, schools, and libraries, especially with comic books and so I am the former inaugural president of the American Library Association Graphic Novel and Comics Roundtable. It's a nice short title. I know, right? It just rolls <laughs> off the tongue. Too. Um, but I guess what's use, uh, important to point out about that is like in terms of recognition within the library profession, the roundtable just got established a few years ago. So even though comics are super popular in schools and libraries, in terms of professional recognition, we're starting to see that change in the past five to ten years. Um, so I used to be much more active with that, but I did uh, recently film a panel that will air as part of um, San Diego Comic-Con at home. So San Diego, if you don't know, also does a conference for educators and librarians. And so that will be free and online. So definitely nice. check out um, Comic-Con's homepage and look for the comic conference for educators and librarians. And so it's open to anybody who works in schools and libraries or especially with educational libraries for kids. Awesome. That sounds fantastic. I mean, you can 
you can never learn too much. And I suppose for most of us, like learning about comics is not a thing that's ever come across our plate. Uh, and yeah. there's so much to take in. Uh, but thank you so much for sharing. Just a little dip in the pool, dip in the ocean, really. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a big, big pool. I, Might as well just yeah, call it ocean. It's a big ocean. Don't even get yeah. me started on like uh, soldier reading of comic books during World War II. Yeah, Much well, bigger history. Yeah. It is. Well, <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll save it for another episode. We can find another soundtrack and we can, uh, we can touch on a little bit more. But uh, Amy, thank you again for taking the time. Uh, from your studies and to uh, this was a good break nice (laughs) awesome glad we could help as we do all right so that's it for tonight's show thank everyone who tuned in for tuning in for those of you in the chat thanks for chatting along Uh, next week I have a very special guest Uh, his name is Patrick Chorley or like they call him aka the coding kid He's a hell of a coder. Um, and we're not actually going to tell you what the album is. It's going to be a bit of a surprise. Um, mostly because the album's not out yet. It actually comes out uh, in, in a few days or so. And then we are going to uh, listen to that record and cram it in over the weekend. And then when we do Tuesday's show, uh, we will have something that maybe yep, almost none of you have heard before. But it's going to be uh, a wild wild ride i guarantee that uh and in two weeks uh, again we have another kind of awesome show um as we mentioned earlier maybe there'll be some star trek which star trek i don't know so hopefully everyone will tune in uh thank you so much uh for listening to the four color radio show again my name is uh, jay bardilla and hopefully we will uh talk with you next week take care